Section 12 of Epics and Romances of the Middle Ages. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Epics and Romances of the Middle Ages by Wilhelm Wagner. Section 12. Part 1. Section 3. Chapter 5. Ermenric. The Harlings. Ermenric had a great and mighty empire. His land stretched out to the east and west, and many kings owed him fealty. His counsellors were wise and clear-headed men, whose advice was of the utmost use to him. Chief among these was Sibic, the marshal of the realm, who was helped in his arduous labours by Ribberstein, the head of the royal household, and his constant companion. These men had always used their influence with the Emperor to keep him true to his alliance with his nephew, the King of Bern, of whom in his heart of hearts his Imperial Highness was not a little jealous. But a great change was soon to take place in the policy pursued at Romaburg. Sibic had a young and beautiful wife, of whom he was very fond. Now Ermenric once sent him away on a long journey, and during his absence did him foul wrong. When the marshal returned, and heard from his weeping wife of the Emperor's treachery, he was filled with wrath. At first he snatched up a dagger to kill his foe, but restrained himself, for he had thought of a subtler mode of vengeance. He desired to make the Emperor the murderer of every member of his family, to deprive him of all his allies, and finally have him assassinated. It was a plan worthy of the devil himself and was carried out with great craft and intelligence. Sibic's first step was to buy over Ribbestein to his design, which he did for a large sum of money, avarice being the man's weak point. This done, Ribbestein agreed to write letters to the Emperor as if from the Duke of Tuscany, the Count of Ancona, the Prince of Milan, and others, warning him that his son Friedrich was plotting against him. The evil deed was easily accomplished, as Ribberstein had copies of all the coats of arms and seals used by the grandees of the Empire. Ermenric was naturally of a suspicious disposition, so he readily fell into the snare laid for him. He consulted Sibic as to what were best to be done, and the false counsellor advised him to send Prince Friedrich with a letter to Jarl Randolt, ostensibly to demand payment of the tribute the Jarl owed but really containing an order that the prince should be slain. The emperor did as he was advised, and Sibic took care that the deed should become generally known. A cry of horror went through the land, and Ermenric was hated by all. Reginbald, the second son, met his death in a different fashion. He went down in the rotten ship in which his father had sent him on a pretended mission to England. One son alone remained, Ronver the third and youngest, a high-spirited, handsome youth, in whom there was no guile. That helped him nothing, however. One day, in the innocence of his heart, he gave his young stepmother Svanhild a bunch of flowers, when they were out hunting with the whole court, and Ermenric, whose mind had been poisoned by false Sibic, ordered Svanhild to be trampled underfoot by horses, and Ranver to be hung. His commands were obeyed. He was now alone in the world, a childless old man. "'Well, Ribberstein,' said the marshal to his accomplice, 
we are getting on very well. The Emperor's only remaining heirs are the Harlems, Imbreca and Frida, who live at Breisach on the Rhine, with their governor Eckhart, and then Dietrich of Bern. The Harlings and the hero are both brothers' children. You were not born and brought up in Romaburg, so I will tell you the story. Ermenric's grandfather left two sons beside him, namely Dietmar, the father of Dietrich, who received the kingdom of Lombardy, and Dieter, surnamed Harlung, who, during his father's lifetime, received the Breisgau and an enormous hoard of red gold. Now listen to this. If we can only get rid of the Harlungs and the hero of Bern, yes, open your eyes and ears as wide as you can, you and I can divide between us the inheritance of Ermenrich. Rebischstein jumped at the proposal as a fish jumps out of the water with joy on a bright day. He had never thought of such a thing before, but he quickly understood what was required of him, and set about the evil work at once. The Harlungs were first brought under suspicion. Letters were shown to the Emperor purporting to be from Imbreca. Fritala, and even from their governor Eckhart, addressed to different notables of the Empire, and setting forth Ermenric's crimes in the darkest colors. One of the letters contained the following passage. Since our liege lord has, in his desperate wickedness, slain his own children, he must himself perish, and that on the highest gallows. The emperor was so angry when he read these words that he determined to collect an army and march against his rebellious nephews. The troops were called out without anyone knowing against whom the campaign was to be made. They marched towards the Rhine till they reached Trollenberg, which belonged to the Harlungs, and where the brothers then lived. Two horsemen kept watch by the river. When they saw the armed men they feared something was wrong, and, dismounting, swam with their horses across the river. They gave the alarm, and all was prepared for defence. Imbreca and Fritala knew the science of war, but they were still very young, and Eckert, their governor, was detained at Breisach by business of the state. When the Harlings saw their uncle's banner, they thought all danger was over, but soon found to their cost that it was a warlike and not a peaceful visit. Wittich and Heime were with the imperial army, but as soon as they learnt Ermenrich's plans they rode away to Breisach to warn the faithful Eckhart of what was going on. As they journeyed together they became good friends again. Trollenberg was at length reduced by fire and taken by storm. Without seeing his nephews Ermenrich ordered a gallows to be erected, and the two brothers to be at once hung thereon. In those days the word of a mighty potentate was law, and the Emperor was obeyed without remonstrance. Ermenrich now took possession of the Harlung's land, and sent out men to search for the rich hoard the murdered princes had inherited from their father. It was at length found hidden in a cave. The Emperor rewarded his army richly, and kept the rest of the treasure-trove for himself. Meanwhile Heime had returned. He had come back intending to reproach his liege lord with his evil deed, and to throw up his fief. But on receiving a large share of the booty, he forgot his better purpose. He was entrusted with the care of taking the treasure to Romaburg. When he saw the heap of red gold and precious stones, he took care that a considerable portion of it should find its way to Studa's Grange, and not to Romaburg.
Meanwhile, curses both loud and deep were uttered in every land against the Emperor. Eckhart brought the news of the Harling's fate to Bern, and Dietrich's wrath burned when he heard it. He said that time would surely come when he could demand expiation from Ermenrich and punish his evil counsellors Sibick and Rebestein. The fiery young heroes Alfar and his brother Siegestab wished to start at once alone with Eckhart to avenge the murder, but their father Amelolt and Hildebrand persuaded them to wait. "'What is only put off may yet be done,' said Alfar to his brother, laying his hand upon his sword. Somewhere about this time Sibick and Rebestein met to hold counsel as to what they should do next. "'Another stone is out of the way,' said Sibick. "'Now we must try to find levers strong enough to move the great rock that stands in our way.' The accomplices felt that they must be careful and not push matters too fast, for, in the first place, the Emperor's own soul was darkened by the crimes he had committed and whenever he was alone he was haunted by the unsubstantial ghosts of those whose death he had compassed. And in the second place, before declaring war upon the hero of Bern, they felt it would be safer to gain over as many as possible of his comrades to their side. But they were hurried on faster than they wished, for Ermenric's uneasy conscience would not let him rest. He must have excitement. The first step taken was to demand tribute of Dietrich of Bern, so Reinhold of Milan was sent into the land of the Amelungs to levy the tribute. The messenger returned in a few weeks' time with empty hands. He said that the notables had flatly refused to pay what he demanded, for they had already paid it to the lord of Bern, and Dietrich had desired him to tell the murderer of the Harlungs to come himself and take the tribute which would be paid to him to the last mark at the spear's point and the sword's edge. The Emperor sent Hyma to Bern to tell Dietrich that if he did not pay the tax he would come in person and hang him on the highest gallows. Hyma was well received in Bern. Dietrich thought that he had come in memory of old times, but when he delivered the Emperor's message the hero asked him if he remembered his old oath of fidelity, to which Hyma replied that he had served out his bond, and that he was now a vassal of the Emperor, who had given him land and gold, and to whom he therefore owed service. Therewith he took his leave. Hyma was not long gone when Vidic appeared. He galloped up to the castle gate. "'Arm, comrades, arm!' he cried. "'There is not a moment to lose. Ermenric approaches with an innumerable army.' I rode on before to warn you of his coming. Faithless Sibic intended to have taken you by surprise, and whoever falls into his hands is not far from death." Dietrich reminded him of his oath, but like Hyma he excused himself and rode away. The Norns appeared at this time to have thrown their darkest web over the head of the hero of Bern. One blow struck him after another. From Wittig he hastened to the sick queen virginal. All night long he held her in his arms. In the morning she died, and grief for her loss prevented his acting with the quick determination usual to him. Master Hildebrand, however, was not idle. He had summoned all the vassals with their following from far and wide in the land of the Amelungs. And the night before the queen's death many allied princes joined them. Amongst the number, 
Berchtungapola in Istria, and the king's faithful comrade Dietleib of Styria with all their men. In the morning the old master called the king, and told him that the time was come to fight for his land and people. The hero of Bern made a mighty effort to master his grief. He pressed a last kiss on the pale lips of his dead wife, and passed away on his march to the great battle. The emperor had already subdued the Duke of Spoleto, and had advanced as far north as Milan. There he encamped, and not suspecting any surprise, he and his men all went to sleep. Meanwhile Dietrich had arrived within a short distance of his camp. While the others rested, Hildebrand rode forward to see what watch the enemy kept, and finding them unprepared, he advised an immediate onslaught. The imperial forces were suddenly aroused by the battle-cry, "'Hey for Bern! Hey for the Red Lion!' They hastily got ready for the fray. The battle raged furiously. Dietrich and his followers were far outnumbered by the foe, but that only made them fight with the more desperation. And which of them could have failed to do his duty under such a leader? Wolfhart cried, "'If we must die, let each man throw his shield behind him and take his sword in both hands.' He did as he said, and Sigerstab and Eckhart followed his example. Wittig and Heima fought bravely as of old, but they avoided their former chief and were at length carried away in the general flight. For the imperial troops were routed by a flank movement made by Hildebrand. Ermenric went back to Romeberg in a very bad humor. He felt inclined to hang Sibic and Rebestein for leading them into a scrape, yet he refrained, as he hardly knew what he could have done without them. Dietrich sent the treasure gained in Milan home to Bern under the charge of some of his comrades, and Berchtung of Pola undertook to provide pack-horses on which to convey it. The convoy travelled by forced marches, but when they reached the Lake of Garten and saw the stars mirrored in its bosom and heard the plashing of the waterfall, Amolot thought that being in the land of the Wolfings they need no longer fear robbers, and might enjoy a little needful rest. The wearied men hailed his proposition with joy, and after supping on the provisions in their wallets, soon fell asleep on the soft turf. Hildebrand with ten of his followers tried to keep awake, but they were so tired that the sound of the murmuring water acted on them like a lullaby, and soon they were sleeping as soundly as the rest. At daybreak they were roughly wakened. Wild faces glared upon them. Strong hands bound them, and scornful laughter echoed in their ears. Four of the warriors, who had sought to defend themselves sword in hand, were cut down. The others all bound and carried away with the treasure. They had not been prisoners long before the comrades saw that they had fallen into the hands of their deadly enemy, faithless Sibic. He had heard of their journey in charge of the treasure, and had brought his troops by sea to garden, and lain in wait near the lake and had then fallen upon the sleeping men. Thus it was that the brave heroes were conquered by cunning. One warrior had escaped the common misfortune, and this was Dietleib, the hero of Styria. He was sleeping in a thicket a little apart from the rest, when Sibic's men fell on the camp. Hearing the noise, he sprang to his feet, slew several of the men-at-arms, mounted his horse, and fled to Bern a bearer of sad tidings. He found every one there in great anxiety. 
Ermenric had again invaded the country, had taken Milan, Robin, Ravenna, and Mantua, and worse than that, many of Dietrich's men had deserted him and joined the enemy. The warriors who preserved their faith and were determined to die with their lord if needful were few in number. A message was sent to Ermenric that the hero of Bern was willing to exchange his prisoners of war for his brave comrades. The answer he received was that he might do with his prisoners as he liked. The warriors the Emperor had taken were all condemned to be hanged. This was the worst news Dietrich had ever heard. Then the Lady Uta, Hildebrand's high-hearted wife, arose, and, accompanied by other noble ladies, went to the enemy's camp and entered the presence of Ermenric. She offered him in exchange for the prisoner Sibic had just made, all her jewels, and those of all the other women and maidens of Bern. Ermenric told her harshly that what she offered him was his already, and that if the king wished his comrades to be set free, he and they must leave the country as beggars, on foot and leading their horses. Hildebrand's wife could not bear to hear that. She had fallen on her knees before the Emperor. But now she rose, and told him proudly that the heroes of Bern and their wives knew how to die, but not how to leave their country in dishonour. The women left the camp in deep sorrow. When Dietrich heard the bad news, he had a long struggle with himself. He had been victorious before, with smaller numbers to support him but victory was always uncertain. And how could he allow his dear old master and noble Bergtung, brave Vulhart, Amelot, Sigeband, Helmschrott, and Lindolt, to die a shameful death? It was a hard struggle. At length he bowed his head to necessity. He consented to Ermenric's terms. On being set free from prison, his comrades received their horses and arms again, and then they and other faithful souls, three and forty men in all, accompanied their lord on his sad journey. There was not a dry eye in Bern when the king went away, and even in foreign lands the fate of Dietrich and his comrades was spoken of with bated breath. The heroes would not mount their horses when they had crossed the borders of the imperial domains for the king walked on unheeding over the wild mountain roads. So the small band of brave men wandered through the beautiful Danubian land, and approached Bacalaren, where Margrave Rudiger held court. There they received a brotherly welcome. One day, when they had been some time at Bacalaren, Dietrich, who had been thinking of the contrast between his desolated home and the smiling land he saw before him, said, with a deep sigh, that everywhere around him was peace and unity, and he would like to remain there forever and forget his woes. Wolfhart reproached him vehemently for wishing to forget his home, adding, "'If that is the case, I shall go back and fight till my last drop of blood is shed.' "'Not so fast, young hero,' answered the Margrave. "'King Etzel owes thanks for the help once granted him.' I will go with you to the court at Susat, and am certain that he will help you to regain the land of the Amelungs. End of section 12